भागवते वासुदेवाया स्वाम्यानपाश्रया नान्यते हावयोरतो राजसेवकयोरिवा ओ माय लॉर्ड आई एम योर अनमोटिवेटेड सर्वेंट यू आर माय इटर्नल मास्टर There is no need of our being anything other than master and servant. You are naturally my master and I am naturally your servant. We have no other relationship. Purport by his divine grace. AC Bhakti Vidanta Swami Prabhupada. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said, Jivara Swarupoi Krishnara Nityadas. Every living being is eternally a servant of the supreme Lord Krishna. Lord Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, "Bhogdharam jagatapasam sarvalokameshwaram." I am the proprietor of all planets and I am the supreme enjoyer. This is the natural position of the Lord, and the natural position of the living being is to surrender unto him. Sarvadharman purityajya Mom a comes at an umbrella. If this relationship continues, then real happiness exists eternally between the master and the servant. Unfortunately, when this eternal relationship is disturbed, the living entity wants to become separately happy and thinks that the master is his order supplier. In this way, there cannot be happiness, nor should the master cater to the desires of the servant. If he does, he is not the real master. The real master commands, <clears throat> "You must do this," and the real servant immediately obeys the order. Unless this relationship between the supreme Lord and the subordinate living entity is established, there can be no real happiness. The living entity is ashraya, always subordinate, and the supreme personality of Godhead is. Bishaya, the supreme objective, the goal of life. Unfortunate persons trapped in this material world do not know this. Natebhu swaratkatim hibishnum. Illusioned by the material energy, everyone in this material world is unaware that the only aim of life is to approach Lord Vishnu. Aradhanam sarvesham, Vishnu aradhanam param. Tasmat parataram devi tadiyanam samacharanam. In the Padma Purana, Lord Shiva explains to his wife Parvati, the goddess Durga, that the highest goal of life is to satisfy Lord Vishnu, who can be satisfied only when his servant is satisfied. Lord Sri Caitanya Mahaprabhu therefore teaches, Gopi Bharatu Padakamalayor Das Das Anudas. One must become a servant of the servant. Prahlad Maharaj also prayed to Lord Narasimhadev that he may be engaged as the servant of the Lord's servants. This is the prescribed method of devotional service. As soon as a devotee wants the supreme personality of Godhead to be his order supplier, the Lord immediately refuses to become the master of such a motivated devotee. 
In Bhagavad Gita, the Lord says, Jayatamam prapadyante tham As one surrenders unto me, I reward him accordingly. Materialistic persons are generally inclined to material profits. As long as one continues in such an adulterated position, he does not receive the benefit of returning home back to Godhead. O my Lord, I am your unmotivated servant, and you are my eternal master. There is no need of being anything other than master and servant. You are naturally my master, and I am naturally your servant. We have no other relationship. Bhagavatam, we learn of the various spiritual relationships or rasas that one may acquire by the grace of God in his loving service. In all conditions, we are the Lord's servant. Jivera Swarupoy Krishnaraniti Das. In the neophyte condition of life, there is only one relationship we can have with the Lord. He is our master and we are his servant. When our heart becomes purified by divine love, in our constitutional position in the spiritual world, we can enter into higher relationships of sakyaras, Vatsalyaras and Madhuryaras, serving the Lord in the intimacy of friendship, rendering service to the Lord as a child, and satisfying the Lord by our service as his lover. So one time a devotee asked Srila Prabhupada, can one enter into these higher rasas with the spiritual master? And Srila Prabhupada replied that between guru and disciple, there is only one rasa, and that is master-servant. That the duty of the disciple is to obey. Disciple means, is coming from the word discipline. Discipline is dependent on the principle of obedience. And this is a fundamental principle of Krishna consciousness, which is one of the building blocks by which we can advance. 
unless we are willing to obey the Lord and his devotees, then there is no question of surrender. Sometimes people have a very, very complex and mistaken understanding of what spiritual advancement is. Sometimes people become very learned. Sometimes people become very expert at looking more humble than a blade of grass. Sometimes people speak in such a way where they appear to be so meek and so mild and so humble. Ah. Sometimes devotees appear to be very advanced in this way. But the real test is when they are given an order that is difficult. Will they obey? That is the basic principle. If you are not obedient, then everything else is more or less show bottle. Because to surrender means to obey. And real humility is based on that obedience. Sometimes people come to the spiritual master with tears in their eyes, touching their feet, offering hundreds of dandavats, and talking about how fallen they are, and talking about how you are my life and soul, and I only have you. And then the spiritual master says, I want you to do this. And then he doesn't do it. So real humility is not so much what we say as far as how fallen and lowly we are. But it is a real question of whether you are really accepting a position that you know nothing and you're completely dependent on the mercy of Guru and your only power is the mercy of Guru and Krishna and therefore whatever you say I do. That is real humility. If you are actually feeling yourself so fallen, then you will cling to the order of the Guru as your only hope. There's no question of questioning, do I know better? Is this good for me or is this bad for me? That is a sign of false pride. Thinking, oh, that I am, I know something better. Or even to think, I cannot do it, is actually a sign of false pride. Because you are not the doer. Krishna is the doer. And the Guru is empowering us to do it. And if we think, I, am, I cannot do it, that means you're thinking, I am the doer. That means other things you can do, that means you must think, I can do it. Huh? If you think you cannot do something, that means whatever you can do, you must think that you are doing that. The bewildered spirit soul thinks himself to be the doer of his activities. But in actuality, they are all carried out by nature. Now for a materialist, they are being carried out by material nature. The three modes of material nature. But this, but this nature is under the supervision of Krishna. 
So for a devotee who is honestly and sincerely trying to surrender to Krishna, all his activities are being carried out by Krishna's nature, the spiritual nature. Mahatmanas tumam parata daivim prakritim ashrata bhajantyananya manaso gyatva bhutadim abhyayam. A Mahatma is one who is always engaged in the loving service of the Lord. Therefore, such a person is always being controlled by the divine, in internal nature of the Lord. Personally, the Lord controls his internal nature. And through the agencies of the laws of karma and the three modes of material nature and time, he is controlling the external nature. So therefore, a devotee understands that I am not the doer. Whatever I have and whatever I can do is only by the mercy of my guru and Krishna. Sometimes people ask, when Krishna says, Ananyas chintayantomam that he preserves what we have and he carries what we lack. So how do we know when Krishna is preserving and when he is carrying what we lack? First of all, understand that whatever you have is by the grace of God. Krishna says, I am the intelligence of the intelligent. Your intelligence is a gift of God. To think you are totally dependent on the mercy of Krishna. Saravasya chaham riddhishani cha. Krishna says, I am the source of knowledge, remembrance, and forgetfulness. You cannot remember anything ever without the help of God. You cannot know anything without the help of God. Krishna also says, I am the strength of the strong. Whatever strength you have in your willpower, in your determination, in your physical health, it is Krishna who is giving you that strength exclusively. It is not yours. Krishna says, I am the ability in man. You may be a nice dancer, a nice singer, a nice artist, a nice businessman, a nice doctor, a nice garland maker. That was a very nice garland maker. But we should know that that ability that we can do it is all coming from God. We are exclusively dependent on the mercy and the gifts of God for everything we do. So therefore, when Krishna says, I preserve what you have, that means without his grace you cannot do anything. And an intelligent person understands that I am not the doer, Krishna is doing it. But on the basis of my desire, he will empower me to do it. And the basis of my lack of desire, he will not waste his time empowering me to do anything. Now, if you use 100% of everything Krishna has given you, and you still need more to fulfill the mission, his will, 
then Krishna says, I will carry what you lack. Do not worry. He will empower you. You cannot do it. Even with everything I have given you, you cannot do it. But if you simply try and give of everything I have given you, I will give you everything of the balance. We can use a simple example. We are trying to make this temple very nice. So, if, if I give Jagannath Puri Maharaj one lakh of rupees, and I say, Jagannath Puri Maharaj, I want you to make this temple very nice. And he takes that lakh of rupees and he spends 50,000 of it to buy a new car for his father in Punjab. Huh? And then he spends another 10,000 buying a new wristwatch for his mother in Punjab. And then he spends um, another 10,000, then he spends the balance on the temple. Huh? Then when I come and see, how have you used what I have given you? Huh? If I see that he has wasted it, will I give him more? He'll say, well, the temple isn't done yet. I need another lakh of rupees. Huh? I will say, well, you are not going to get it from me, my friend. Huh? Because you have not utilized properly what I have given you. Now, if he uses every paisa of that lakh of rupee with great attention to get the ultimate best out of it, to make the temple nice, and I see that, huh, then if he needs ten more lakhs, I'll say, take it. Take whatever you need, because I know you'll use every bit of it for me, for my purpose. Huh? That is God, how God operates. God has given us whatever we have. If we waste it, he's not going to give us any more. He's given us our intelligence, he's given us our determination, he's given us our willpower. Unless we are using 100% of it in his service, it is his property. To use it for any other purpose is a thief. It's sinful. When we use it all for him, then Krishna says, whatever you lack, I will give you the rest. Do not fear. By all material consideration, Arjuna could not have defeated the Pandavas, I mean the Kurus. They were outnumbered. There was 11 Akshahini divisions of soldiers against seven. And the most powerful warriors were on the side of the Kurus. Krishna just told Arjuna, you fight with every bit of your strength and energy for me. And you'll win. Because whatever you lack, I will carry. Just like the story of when Krishna, when Arjuna came back from the battlefield one evening, uh, he had just defeated a whole army of powerful warriors who he was trying to, to defeat for many days. On this one day, he finally completely rooted them. And when he came back to the camp of the Kurus in the evening, I mean the Pandavas at the evening, he was thinking everyone would be very proud celebrating his victory. But that evening, nobody could even look at him in the face. 
the camp was completely silent. He looked at Yudhisthira Maharaj, and Yudhisthira Maharaj just turned his head. He could not face Arjuna. He looked at Bhima, and Bhima just turned away. He could not look at Arjuna's face. He was thinking, why is everyone so cold? Why is everyone so morose? Why no one will even look at me? Why no one will talk to me? Why is there such silence in the camp? And where is my beloved son who comes to greet me every evening with a warm embrace? Where is my Abhimanu? And then Arjuna could understand that there was something terrible that had taken place that day. And Maharaj Yudhisthira and Bhima had to explain to him how that day there was a grand war and the Kurus were trying to kidnap Yudhisthira. And when they kidnapped him, the plan was they were going to challenge him to dice game. And with Sakuni's mystical dice, he would have again lost. And again, Yudhisthira would have had to been banished to the forest for 14 years and the war would be over. The Kurus again would have control over everything. So Yudhisthira was being way in the back, protected by the greatest soldiers. Now what happened is the Kurus came and attacked the Pandavas in a particular formation that was devastating to their army. And there was only two people who could penetrate that formation in the entire Pandava army. That was Arjuna and his son Abhimanu. But Arjuna was not present at the time. He was in a different area of the battlefield fighting another war. But Abhimanu only knew how to get in the formation, but he didn't know how to get out. So Bhima and all the warriors decided, huh? We will follow right behind you. And we will break this formation and defeat the Kurus. So Abhimanu, being fearless and obedient to the order of his eldest brother, I mean his uncle, Yudhisthira, he expertly penetrated this impenetrable formation. And Bhima and all the Pandavas were close behind. But just when he entered into the formation, it closed, and no one else could enter. And when he was there, he was facing all the most powerful Maharatis in the Kuru army. It was him against all of them. And he began to fight with such chivalry, such strength, such fearlessness. Although he was outnumbered, he was only a 16-year-old child. He was up against the most experienced and powerful warriors on the planet. All these great soldiers began to praise and glorify his determination and his fighting strength. But as time went on, because there were so many of them, he, began, he became very tired. And soon they broke his chariot, and he broke his bow and arrow, and he was just him with his fists. When Krishna heard that, 
said, Arjuna, why you are you making these vows? You know, in spiritual life, you should not take any vows without the blessings of senior devotees. Huh? This is a lesson to be learned. He said, I have, we have organized this whole war, and now you're making this crazy vow. The Kurus can easily protect Jayadratha from you tomorrow. So when the word came to the camp of the Kurus through the various spies that Arjuna had made this vow, the Kurus were very happy. They knew they could do something with Jayadratha so that Arjuna would not even see him the next day. And Jayadratha was very worried. He said, I'm leaving this battlefield. I'm going home. I'm not going to face Arjuna in this anger, in this fury. And Duryodhana, Dronacharya, they said, no, 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 you should not leave. It's not good for you to leave the battlefield. We promise we will protect you. We will form all our armies simply to protect you from Arjuna. So the next day, the two armies lined up. And the Kurus had a formation where all the soldiers were lined up in, a, in rows for miles and miles and miles. And behind that, there was the formations of the most powerful Maharatis in protective shields. And behind them was another protective shield. And behind all of them was Jayadrata. That whole day's battle, the only purpose of every soldier on the Kuru army was to protect Arjuna from Jayadrata, to protect Jayadrata from Arjuna. In the morning when they saw, it seemed impossible. Arjuna, from sunrise to sunset, would have to fight through millions and millions of soldiers to even get to him, to even see him. And he had Krishna as his charioteer. So Arjuna began to fight. It was a glorious fight. He was fighting and fighting and all the soldiers were just thousands at a time were coming, standing in his way so he could not progress one step further. And he had to kill every soldier there just to go one inch further. There were millions of men trying to block his way. But heroically, his chariot was just plunging through the armies, killing thousands at a time. There were legs and trunks and arms and heads and blood just strewing the field of battle. So they were thinking, my God, he's going so fast. Is it possible? So after some time in the day went by, the great hero Dronacharya, he knew that Arjuna could not defeat him. Dronacharya was the teacher of Arjuna, and Arjuna was the favorite student of Drona. Drona taught Arjuna alone everything he knew. Therefore, Dronacharya knew he could not defeat Arjuna, but he also knew that Arjuna could not defeat him. And he also knows that a great warrior will never run from a fight. So the plan was Drona would challenge Arjuna, 
and they would end up fighting all day. Arjuna would never be able to get by him. So Drona came before Arjuna while he was on his rampage forward. And he said, Arjuna, I challenge you to fight with me. And Arjuna looked at Dronacharya, and Krishna spoke to Arjuna, you know, if you try to fight Drona, he'll never win, and he'll never win. The whole day will be lost, and we'll never reach Jayadrata. So Drona, very ferociously, he challenged, fight me, fight me. And Arjuna took an arrow and shot that arrow so it fell right at the feet of his Guru Maharaj. This is a Kshatriya style of offering obeisances on the battlefield. And he said, you are my Guru Maharaj, how can I fight with you? All I can do is offer my respectful obeisances to you. And after saying that, he just zoomed forward and disappeared into the armies. And Drona started challenging him, you coward, you are running from fight. And Arjuna just went forward. At one time, they were fighting so hard, they were going so fast against so much opposition that Arjuna's horses became utterly fatigued. So Krishna told Arjuna that we cannot go any further. Our horses cannot walk anymore. They are exhausted. So you continue the fight and I will take care of the horses. So Arjuna, Krishna, un un disconnected the horses from the chariot. Arjuna remained on his chariot and was fighting. And meanwhile, Krishna took the horses to some water. And he gave the horses nice water. He bathed their bodies. He brushed them with brushes. In this way, he was, Krishna was the servant of Arjuna's horses. <laughs> what to speak of Krishna being the servant of his, of his devotee, Parthasarati? He was the humble servant of the horses of his devotee. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu also revealed this mood of devotion to his devotees. There was a great devotee named Gunaraj Khan, who was from the um, village of Kulinagram. And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was very affectionate to one beautiful poem written by Gunaraj Khan. One line of which was, I surrender my life as a servant of the divine son of Nanda Maharaj. And he used to recite that poem with tears in his eyes. And he said, because Gunaraj Khan is such a pure devotee of Krishna, he is so dear to Krishna, that all the residents of Kulinagram, because of their connection with Gunaraj Khan, are dearmost to Krishna. He said, even a dog from Kulinagram is exalted in the eyes of God because of their connection with Gunaraj Khan. There's also the story, of course, of the son of Adwaitacharya, Amoga. Amoga was such a blasphemer. He was blaspheming Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu like anything. 
and due to his blasphemies he, had, he attained the result of cholera and he was on his deathbed and while he was about to die Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu placed his hand on Amoga's chest and said you are coming from a Brahmin family how is this envy come into your heart rise and chant the names of God and Amoga got up and started chanting the holy names and he began to dance in ecstasy and then when he realized that here Mahaprabhu has saved my life and I was his biggest blasphemer I was calling him a sense enjoyer and a bogus sannyasi and everything he started slapping his face punishing himself Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said no 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 this is, your face is not your property it is mine you cannot slap my property understand this you cannot defy the property of God don't think it is yours it is sinful so then uh, Adwaitacharya I'm sorry Sarvabhoma Bhattacharya not Adwaitacharya Sarvabhoma Bhattacharya Sarvabhoma told Chaitanya Mahaprabhu that why have you saved him why didn't you let him die he's such a rascal he blasphemed you he said because of his connection to you even though he's a rascal because you are so dear to the Lord therefore anything in relationship to you also is dear to the Lord so Krishna became the humble obedient servant of Arjuna's horses here is the supreme absolute truth God performing the most menial servant of watering the horses brushing their bodies fanning them bathing them making them feel good and then after some time when the horses were very nice he brought them back hooked up the chariot and again they started to fight again they started to march forward hours and hours and hours went by until alas the sun was sitting right on the horizon there was only a few minutes left and still Jayadrata could not even be seen on the horizon so again they fought forward forward Arjuna was fighting with every drop of his energy every morsel of his strength literally every particle of his intelligence whatever he had was a hundred percent being surrendered and exhausted in his pursuit to serve Krishna's desire but there was just a, a sliver of the Sun left before it was about to set and Jayadrata could barely be seen in the horizon and Arjuna realized that with all I have it's not enough but Krishna saw how hard, how hard and enthusiastically Arjuna tried so Krishna took his Sudarshan Chakra and it went before the Sun and it blocked the Sun so the Kurus saw there was no more Sun the Sun had set so they all put down their weapons and they all began to cheer Arjuna is dead Jayadrata has been saved the Sun has set all glories all glories to 
Duryodhana. The Pandava army would have been, they knew, without Arjuna, the Pandavas were finished. It was the victory celebration. They were dancing, they were leaping, they were in ecstasy. In this way, there was no guard. Jayadrata was very happy, thinking, ah, I have been saved. Meanwhile, Krishna looked at Arjuna and he said, you take a crescent-shaped arrow and you sever his head from his body now. Arjuna said, what? But the sun has set. This is cheating. Krishna said, obey. But don't allow his head to touch the ground. Because his father was a mystic yogi who gave a benediction that anyone who would make my son's head touch the ground, that person's head would crack in hundreds of places. Therefore, what you must do is with your crescent-shaped arrow, sever his head and transport his head to the Himalayas where his father is sitting in meditation and let his head fall on the lap of his father. So Arjuna took this mighty arrow and the head flew to his father's lap. And his father was sitting in a state of samadhi. And when all of a sudden this, he felt this large, heavy item fall on his lap, he opened his eyes and he saw a bloody head. He could not recognize what it was. So he went, oof, and he pushed it. And when it fell on the floor, his father's head just went, and it cracked, and he was dead. And everyone in the Kuru army, they were looking, Jayadrat is dead, the sun already set, what is going on? They were looking at Arjuna, how could you do that? How could you break your vow and cheat? They were aghast, they couldn't believe Arjuna would do such a thing. It was totally dishonorable. And when they were all staring at Arjuna like that, Krishna removed the Sudarshan chakra. And the sun, everyone could see, a sliver of the sun was still remaining on the horizon. And within a moment later, it set. And then all the Kurus started falling unconscious in total lamentation. And the Pandavas began to celebrate joyously. So when Krishna says that I preserve what you have and I carry what you lack, this is what it means. All you have to do is try your best and know that if it is the order of Guru, he will empower you. And if you're not willing to try your best, don't expect to be empowered. Know that whatever you could do is only by the mercy of Guru and Krishna. You are not the doer. And along with the order of the guru comes the empowerment to follow that order. All we have to do is try. 
if we try by God's grace, it can be done. So if we say, I cannot do it, that means you think you're the doer. That means you do not have faith and trust that ultimately Krishna is doing it. It's not me. All I have to do is try. Do it or not do it. Krishna says to Arjuna, fight this war. Don't be attached to victory or, or defeat. Just be attached to the service. Do not be attached to success or failure, victory, defeat, honor, dishonor. Just be attached to the service. Do your best. That's all. If I want you to win, you will win. If I want you to lose for some reason or other, you'll lose. But you're victorious because you've surrendered. That is our position when the order of Guru comes upon us. And therefore, if we have faith and we obey, yes, I cannot, what to speak of I cannot do this? I cannot even follow the four regulative principles. I cannot even breathe without the mercy of Guru. What to speak of build a temple in Rishikesh? I mean, at the rate we are in Bombay, just to put the light under the pictures seems like an impossible feat. Huh? However big or small our order is, we should know we cannot do it. We cannot see, we cannot think, we cannot smell, we cannot breathe without the mercy of Guru. So all we have to do is try as hard as we can. And if we try honestly and sincerely with faith, then whether we are successful or whether we fail, we are glorious. We have won the mercy of God. If Krishna wants, if, if it's best for you that you win, if you, it's best for you that you accomplish the mission, then Krishna will do it for you. But if it's best for your purification that it doesn't work out that way, then it won't work out no matter how great you are. Huh? <laughs> Our duty is simply to give everything we have. That is the position of a servant. That is obedience and that is humility. As I was saying, if you think I cannot do this, that means anything you can do, you're thinking I can do it. Huh? But if you honestly believe Krishna is the doer of what you are doing, then you also honestly believe that Krishna can do anything I can't do. That is real humility. That is real dependence on the Lord. And that is the basic consciousness behind obedience in the service of the Master. So, Prahlad Maharaj is here describing to Lord Nursingadev that I am your unmotivated servant. You are my eternal master and there is no need of being anything other than master and servant. In other words, my dear Lord, I do not want anything from you except your service. I do not want wealth. At the same time, I do not want the pride of renunciation. I do not want beautiful women. But at the same time, if the Lord wants me, then I'll take it. Huh? 
I do not want followers, but if it is the Lord's order, I'll take it. Just like Maharaj Priyavrat, he was Nadyanamna Janamna Sundarim Gavitam Vajagadish Kamaye. I do not want wealth. I do not want beautiful women, wives, and followers. I do not want kingdom, power. I only want your service. But then his guru came down and told him, Ah, you want my service? Well, the service is you must, in order to serve me the way I want, you must accept wealth, you must accept a beautiful wife and you must accept millions of followers. Huh? Priyavrat could have said, but that's not what Lord Chaitanya taught me. <laughs> that is what Lord Chaitanya taught you. you. You don't want any of these things for your sense gratification. You want only service. So if service means giving up your wealth, giving up your beautiful wife or husband, giving up your followers, your recognition, your fame in society, then you do it in service. But at the same time, if your service is to accept wealth, accept wife, accept followers, then you have no other service unless you're willing to... Service means obedience to the master. What do you want? How can I serve you? This is the essence of spiritual life. So Prahlad Maharaj, here he was, a little boy, and he already was being offered by his father everything in the universe. His father was offering him the kingdom of the entire universe to the extent that the throne of Indra was under his control. All he had to do was tell his father that, yes, yes, I like you very much. That's all he had to do. He didn't even have to do that. All he had to do was be quiet. If he just didn't say anything, he would have gotten all the wealth, all the beautiful women, and all the followers in the whole universe. But Prahlad was He did not want wealth. He did not want his father's Apsara women. And he did not want all his following. Even the demigods were the servants of Hiranyakashipu. Uh -huh. We talk about followers. Prahlad would have had Indra, Varuna, Vayu, everybody as his servants following him. Such a position. But his service that his Guru Maharaj had given him was to preach. Uh -huh. So he preached and he sacrificed all these things and in involved himself in the most treacherous persecutions and inconveniences because his guru told him to preach. Huh? There was no consideration of what I'll, what I'll lose and what I'll have to undergo. His only consideration was, this is guru's order, I must preach. So he preached. And after all that, he was so happy just thinking of Krishna. He was completely in the renounced order of life. Then Nursinga Bhagavan comes down gives him darshan, destroys his father, destroys the whole Rakshasha army. And then what does Nursinga do? He says, Prahlad, now you be king. Now you take all the wealth of the world, of the universe. It's yours. Now you get married to the most beautiful of all these nice chaste women. Now you accept all the subjects 
of the whole universe as your, as your followers. Huh? This is the service I'm giving to you. For, our, for Prahlad to have rejected those things would be in transgression of this verse of Mahaprabhu. I do not want wealth, I do not want beautiful women, and I do not want followers. I do not even want liberation. But that's not all. At the end of the verse, he explains what he does want. He wants devotional service. So if that devotional service involves all these other things, he takes it, whether he likes it or not, whether he considers it abominable or not. He accepts. This is obedience. To have no other ambition except to satisfy the Lord. Atapum birdrijasreshtas varanashrama vibhagashashvanushtatasya dharmasya samsadir haritoshana. Whatever varna or ashram you follow, whether you are a grihasta or a vanaprasta or a sannyasi or a brahmachari, makes no difference. Whether you are a brahman, chachriya, vaishya or sudra, makes no difference. Your only goal in life is to please Krishna. And Prahlad Maharaj has prayed, There is only one goal, and that is to please Vishnu. There's no other goal. And the way of pleasing Krishna is very simple and very clear. By accepting the order of his pure devotees. Krishna says, those who are on this path, those who are on my path, they are resolute in purpose and their aim is one. Those who are not on this path, their intelligence is many-branched. They have many desires, many ambitions, many considerations, many things they like to do that they'll do, and many things they don't like to do that they'll run from. But those who are on this path, they are resolute in purpose, and their aim is one. And Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur, in his commentary of this verse, describes, in very simple language, this means one must make the order of Guru his life and soul. with faith, faith in the mercy of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. O oh my Lord, I am your unmotivated servant, and you are my eternal master. There is no need of our being anything other than master and servant. You are naturally my master, and I am naturally your servant. We have no other relationship. Is there any questions? Yes. First of all, it means obedience. 
If you're actually humble, you'll do what you're told. Second of all is you offer respect and honor to everyone and you expect none in return. That is a sacrifice. We see the good qualities in all others, but we only look for our own defects because we're full of defects. We see that whatever is coming that is good, we do not deserve it. It's by God's causeless mercy. And whatever is coming that is bad, we see that we deserve a million times worse. But God is so kind, he's only giving me little. Huh? In other words, God is giving us this information of how to be humble. By hearing, reflecting, meditating, and applying these principles to our life, God is giving us the means of being humble. And if you try to apply these principles in your life, if you honestly and sincerely try, then gradually Krishna will award you with the genuine sentiments of humility. But if you don't try to be humble in his service, then he'll never give you humility. Why should he? He won't give you anything unless you are trying as hard as you can. To obey, to give all credit, and to expect no credit oneself. To honestly try to believe that Krishna is the doer. And to philosophically understand with your intelligence how he actually is the doer. Not a blade of grass can move without his sanction. So we should try and aspire with all of our might to be more humble than the grass, more tolerant than the tree, offer all respect to others and expect none in return. That is how we become humble. And always be the servant of the servant of the servant of the devotees. Always look for the good in others and don't expect anyone to see any good in you. Huh? One thing you have that God has given you is independence, to desire what you want, to choose 
that is yours. And based on that desire and based on that choice, Krishna facilitates. You have no power to facilitate, to fulfill any of your desires, whether they are pious, sinful, or transcendental. But you do have the power to desire. And based on that desire, Krishna facilitates. He'll give you the power to commit sins. He will give you the power to act rebellious. Or he will give you the power to do wonderful service for the upliftment of all living beings. Huh? So therefore, the essence of Krishna consciousness is to purify our desire through proper association and through accepting the transcendental guidance of the advanced souls. The other day, we were at this doctor for the sprained ankle, torn ligaments and ankle. And what, there's a little machine, a piece of metal that they rub on your foot. Huh? And it doesn't seem like anything's happening. They're just rubbing this little piece of metal on your foot. There's a wire connected to it. I say, what's happening? This is high frequency. You cannot hear it, but it's high frequency and it's going into your ankle and it's breaking up all the bad particles so your ankle will be in its natural healthy condition again. Huh? This is how it works. So I was thinking, ah, this is very nice, high frequency. I said, we also have the same type of remedy. We have the highest frequency. You have high frequency, but we have the highest frequency. It is called the Hare Krishna Mantra. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Ram, Hare Ram, Ram Ram, Hare Hare. And, huh, just like my ankle, I cannot hear. I cannot hear this sound that you are putting in, but somehow or other my ankle can hear it. <laughs> and the particles are being broken up. So similarly, this Hare Krishna mantra, whether you understand the nature of this sound or not, what it does is it enters. Anyone who, who comes in contact with this high-frequency mantra, supreme frequency, param frequency, it enters into the heart and it breaks up all the bad particles of lust and envy and anger and greed and pride and illusion and after all these bad particles are broken up then your heart is in its natural healthy happy condition of Krishna consciousness huh? so the doctor was actually quite interested in the Hare Krishna mantra after huh, Vaishnava we gave her higher consciousness book and and every day we've been back there since the Higher Consciousness book is sitting on top of her desk right in front of where she sits and she says when she puts things on her patients you know she, they, they have to sit and for about 20 minutes she says she reads everyone from, from this magazine while they're sitting and listening so factually this is the process of purifying our heart 
the holy name of the Lord, the chanting of the holy name, is the first and foremost of all the instructions of the spiritual master. In Chaitanya Charitamrita, Srila Prabhupada says, I have given so many instructions to my disciples in so many aspects of their life. But of all of them, the most important and essential is to chant 16 rounds of the Hare Krishna mantra attentively every day. So if we take obediently this instruction in our head, and we put our faith in whatever other instructions he orders us and we obey, then gradually through this process, all of the unwanted anarta within our heart Anartha nivriti, they are removed, they are broken up. And then our natural pure condition of consciousness is awakened. No material condition, whether you're with this person or with somebody else, whether you are in this position or in another position, know that these things can never make us happy. It's all just illusory and temporary. The only position that will make us happy is when we are in our natural purified condition of love of God. Huh? So therefore, we should not be attached to anything of this world. We should be attached to the process of purification only. Huh? Which means we should make the order of Guru our life and soul. Is there any other questions? Thank you very much.